A reading according to the Gospel of Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you have not listened, or if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Uh, I normally, when I preach, I, it's a bit more interactive. So for those of you with your video screens on, if you can give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down, we may be doing this as I speak. So uh, I appreciate that. So I just want to begin by asking uh, the congregation here, are any of you familiar with the social media platform called Reddit? Thumbs up, thumbs down? A little bit of mix, okay. Reddit is like this giant online forum for people to engage and connect with each other over every topic imaginable. And each topic has its own subreddit. If one of these topical forums involves asking a question that anyone can respond to, so there was a group uh, where somebody asked to the group, what always makes you sad? Many people replied with stories of loved ones and of friends who had died. Uh, some people shared about past regrets that still make them sad when they think about it. Uh, but one story, one response that really stuck out to me uh, was this. Sometimes I'll be telling a story and I don't think anyone is listening. So I just stop in the middle and I'm right. There's something about that story that hits me right in the gut. It's like that self-doubt, that pause, that wonder if anybody is actually listening to what you're saying. If you have been, thank you for the hands up, if you have been on these virtual calls and you are the one speaking, maybe you wonder if anyone is actually listening to you. It is the human condition to desire connection, and it's often so painful when our attempts to connect fall on deaf ears. Dr. Ralph Nichols is a renowned scholar and one of the founders in the field of listening. He said the most basic of all human needs is the need to understand and be understood. The best way to understand people is to listen to them. And so in today's Gospel of Matthew, we find a playbook on how to address and resolve conflict within a community of faith because as it is written, when two or more are gathered in Jesus's name, conflict will be there. 
Yes, Jesus did say that he would be there, but I think you will agree that when two or more gather, there will be conflict. One reason conflict happens is because of misplaced loyalty. We have forgotten to be each other's keeper. We're no longer committed to each other. There are cultural dynamics that perpetuate our disloyalty to one another. And we tend to talk more about one another than we do talk with one another. We often don't like to talk about conflict because it's uncomfortable. I used to tell people all the time that I enjoy conflict because I like to imagine myself as someone who can handle conflict well. But the reality is I don't like how conflict makes my body feel. It makes me sleep poorly. It makes my heartbeat uncontrollably faster. I make dumb decisions. Conflict is only wonderful if you can resolve it or learn from it. That tension needs to be unwound or else that conflict becomes internalized in, health, un, in unhealthy ways that we can spend days or even years trying to uncover and resolve. Thumbs up, anybody? Conflict? Yeah, awesome. I'm a good, com I'm a good conflicting company. And so when you hear the word conflict, who or what is the first relationship that comes to mind? Think about that for a second. If you have a person or a relationship in mind, thumbs up. For me, I think of my sister-in-law. Does anyone else have conflict with their in-laws? Y'all are too polite and shy to, to be honest with me, that's, that's okay. But my sister-in-law and I are constantly in conflict and we also live together. So there are plenty of opportunities for conflicts to arise. Uh, last fall, my father-in-law visited us and our whole household planned different activities and we were brainstorming about how to show him a good time. But it became frustratingly apparent that my sister-in-law and I had very different ideas of how to show him a good time. And so each day that my father-in-law was here, I kept getting this feeling that my sister-in-law from my sister-in-law that I was doing something wrong. Like I wasn't meeting her expectations and caring for him or doing enough for him. And it seemed like with each passing day during his visit, that tension between us would build. The passive aggressiveness between us would build until one afternoon, our polite interactions erupted into an explosive shouting match inside Home Depot. True story. I was clearly not thinking about the Gospel of Matthew playbook in my anger, talking in private, right? Conflict is a part of society. In fact, conflict is literally in our church's DNA. Every single Christian Orthodox teaching came because members of faith argued with one another whether this thing is heretical or orthodoxy, and the winner was declared orthodoxy. And you don't have to look very far in the world today to find conflict. It seems like the political landscape in America intersects almost every facet of life and anything can be politicized and controversial these days. Amen? Hmm. Maybe you have a boss or manager who is always creating conflict. And we all know somebody who is always surrounded by drama. The Gospel of Matthew provides the answer to resolving conflict. And that is to keep listening. Four times in the first three verses, Jesus makes reference to listening. The lyrical repetition suggests to pay extra attention to hearing one another. To put it another way, the spiritual discipline of listening 
It is a mark of a community grounded in the ways of Jesus. Christ-centered conflict resolution requires more listening than it does speaking. And the problem right now is that we are not listening to each other. We're actually really good at talking at each other. We're really good at waiting for our turn to talk in a conversation. We're really good at listening to people we already agree with. And we're really good at making sure we have the last word in any conflict. If you've ever watched a Facebook conversation unravel on the internet, you'll either butt in and defend your friend, or you'll grab popcorn and watch that drama unfold because it is so entertaining. Am I right? Because, well, unfortunately, coming to the aid of your internet friend or passively watching this whole drama unfold does not repair nor restore the conflicting relationship. True conflict resolution requires us to be hyper aware and humble. And listening is a practice that requires our entire being. If we, as a community of faith, can practice listening well, I believe we will not only understand our world better, but we will have a right understanding of ourselves. And in doing so, our gatherings will actually reveal the presence of Christ in our midst. Uh, you may have been introduced uh, that I am a United Methodist minister, long lost cousins to the Episcopal appointments, talk about conflict, right? Uh, and I'm not actually familiar with the Episcopal system, but in the, in the United Methodist Church, we are appointed, we are assigned to one faith community to another faith community by our presiding bishop. Is that similar here? No, it's not. Okay. Well, for me, that's simultaneously beautiful and terrifying because I have no control over who I am called to love and serve as I am appointed from church to church. And our churches are located in every zip code in America, rural, urban, suburban, exurban, all of these urbans. It requires our ministers to be flexible and patient compassionate so that we can listen and respond to the concerns of each congregation as they are. I was reading about this research study that revealed how the zip code that you spent the longest time living in is more likely to determine your social and political views. A zip code can tell you the population density of an area and the amount of time that you spend in a certain population density over the course of your life is more likely to determine your social and political views, more so than your race, your education, your gender, your income, or even your sexuality. People residing in urban zip codes are more likely to view guns primarily as a source of violence, whereas people in rural zip codes are more likely to view guns as a necessary tool for their way of life. Much so in the same way that city folks rely on social services, public utilities, and government entities for their day-to-day -day needs. If something were to break down or require maintenance, city dwellers are more likely to schedule an appointment to have it fixed. Whereas for people in lower density zip codes, relying on these public services would actually take longer to fix than trying to fix it yourself. And so those in higher density areas are willing to pay for these services because they are part of daily life to make it more manageable. Whereas zip codes with lower population densities are more likely to view government intervention to be a nuisance. Neither, neither of these perspectives are wrong, they're just different. And I've seen this dynamic play out in my own experience serving churches from zip code to zip code. And you don't have to be a Methodist pastor appointed 
to many churches to experience this. I know you've experienced this difference because it's humbling. It provokes self-reflection and it opens our eyes and makes us more aware. I think the beauty of this text isn't so much that the gospel outlines a concrete formula that will lead to everyone agreeing with each other, but that in conflict, there is an opportunity to practice the spiritual discipline of listening. The good news is that God restores our community when we gather together. Every miracle that Jesus performs always ends with the person being restored and welcomed back into the life of the community. God restores our community when we gather and listen to one another, for Jesus Christ promises to be with us when we are in conflict. And so in a moment in history where we cannot physically gather two or more, we can be a healing presence in a society amidst conflict if we remain committed to each other and committed to listening to each other. Uh, after my sister-in-law had that shouting confrontation, do you know what happened in, the, in that aisle? She actually listened to me. It was so disarming that it made me want to listen to her concerns. And it turns out, I never noticed that my father-in-law was limping all week and that parking the car at the far end of the Home Depot parking lot, rather than dropping him off near the store entrance is a valid concern to raise against me, yeah? Listening is imperative in a time when it feels like we're surrounded by conflict. God is asking us to listen well, so may our listening change us and bring healing to our world. Amen.